Pastor Chris, yes, it's a sir. joy to have you here on Talking <laughs> Church. Uh, you have been with us for our conference, and uh, by the time people are listening to us, they're probably watching uh, back some of the sessions, but uh, it's a joy. We have been, uh, I mean, I consider you a friend. I know that you and and my, my parents have been friends for many years, but uh, we've, we've really grown up in this thing of the arc, uh, uh, got getting to meet your family and know your kids. And even throughout the arc, which is the association of related churches, uh, you know, as kids, we always were brought along to the board meetings. Mm -hmm. And so we got to know each other as kids and as PKs. And even to this day, really strong friendships has formed, uh, between really your kids. Um, I mean, there's too many people I could name their kids that have been there. But what I noticed is as we got older, you don't bring us anymore to the trips. <laughs> you have wives and yeah. you have your own kids and it's way too expensive. Yeah, no. it's way too expensive, but uh, it's a joy to have you. Thank you. I'm and, honored uh, to be here. Yeah, it's it's really a privilege and you've, you've shared amazing words here at the conference, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today. Talk about church, talk about the state of the church, where we're at, where you see it. Obviously, you're such a key really key voice in a lot of people's voices or a lot of people's lives in their uh, churches and so well, many you. things that they lead. And obviously, you know, even us kids, we're, we're watching our parents, but following along their lead and uh, obviously seeing the way that you lead your family and your church is inspiring. And so again, thank you for that. Um, I want to get into this and I want to just, I want to talk church. I want to talk about what you see, uh, you know, this, this podcast is listened to by, you know, it's not like, oh, it's, you know, I'm 25, it's the next generation. There's people of all generations, right. pastors from all over that are listening, but I think they'd love to, you know, hear some thoughts that you have, but something that, that uh, my dad and I both found out, we didn't realize how many years were you in, like a worship pastor leading worship at church? Like, it was yeah. like 20 years? Yeah, I was actually was started piano lessons at seven years old. At 13, I could play pretty much anything anybody put in front of me. At 15, I had 30 piano students. At 15? At 15 years old. Wow. So when I got saved at 15 years old, um, I started playing on stage. So I've been actually, I'm I'll, at the time of this yeah. podcast, I'm a, I'm a couple of days away from my 59th birthday. So wow. I've been doing church work um, on staff for 40 years, but been, been, been really been doing church for 45 years yeah. and have been on stage. I always tell people I haven't gone to church in 45 years. Because <laughs> when I got saved, I was on a bass, yeah. keyboard. Yeah. And so when I went on staff at 20, um, I immediately jumped into the worship world because I knew music so well. Because back then we didn't have any, um, there was no uh, programs to transpose music or to sure. to do charts. And of course, I was back in the glory years too, of the, the horn sections you know, you had a little celebrate Jesus, celebrate, set. I mean, that was just. I just a, have to trust you on that. Oh one. man, it was just. Yeah. Hey, that, that was good worship back then. So you were, we were writing out all these horn co- uh, charts and and, and orchestration you're to play it in different keys. Yeah, and, you had to do it in all different keys and did it all by hand. And anyway, I like you. I love church, man. I'm just. Yeah. I'm all about the church. Been doing it my whole life. And and so when I started Church of the Highlands. Um, I led the worship for the first four years of the church. No way! And then just got out from behind the from behind the keyboard and just sure. walked out and preached. And yeah, we were still building our teams. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of pastors on the country that can resonate with that. Yeah. Because you know, they see where Highlands is at now, but they're maybe saying, "Hey, I'm still doing that." Right. Or I'm I'm leading teams and I'm doing this and that. And my dad's talked about stories of how he's had to say oh, yeah. yes to things that his lead pastor would say. Oh yeah, you're now the worship pastor too because our worship <laughs> pastor quit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's okay. Yes, sir. And it's an unfair advantage, honestly, because. Um, now, when you understand worship uh, as a as a 
pastor, when you're speaking, you, you know, you can flow with the, yeah. the team behind you during the ministry moment. So I, I love, I still love it. I, I'm on yeah. the piano every day. Really? Every day I get on the piano and play and, and, and sing because the house is empty now. The kids are gone. And, yeah. And I can worship with the Lord. And so it's awesome. Wow. That's amazing. How does that impact like leading worship teams and members? Because they know, you know, like they can't, they right. can't bring up something that they think, oh, the lead pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. You know oh. what key they're playing in, what, what if they messed up. What, how, I mean, how does that impact that? They have to, they have to be okay with it, honestly, yeah. because I do have something to say about a lot more yeah. than most pastors because I know I do hear missed notes and I'll ask them between services, hey, was that a, you know, did you miss that note or is that how you guys wrote that or yeah. and so um, yeah and but they're great with it honestly and yeah. I, I don't I don't try to put my personality and my preferences because they are older you know I still yeah. I still love to play the old hymns and and sing some of the old especially the worship songs the the praise stuff is kind of it came, it went, it should stay gone. <laughs> but the worship stuff, yeah. I mean, you do a little draw me close to you. Yeah. That still works today, man. Yeah. That's um so anyway, um, but yeah, we have a great relationship, honestly. Mm-hmm. And they they when they write songs, I'll sit in the rooms with them and listen and, and talk. Cause I have certain things I believe about worship that are very important to me. Like worship should be worship. It yeah. should be his his worth. Not ours. We have worth, but this is not the time to talk about it. How do you distinguish between that? Like, yeah. So I think I think I think there's the tendency, and I don't want to, you know, say anything negative, but there's the tendency for some of the songs to be we're the subject of the song, mm. and it's true. It's just not worship. Yeah. It's encouraging. Sure, encouraging song. It's an yeah. encouraging song. It's yeah. and I always say you're going to get that in the message. We're going to talk all about you and how the God can change your life. But let's just sing about Him for a few minutes. Back in our day, a lot of the songs were all about the majesty of God. We didn't talk about our problems what, and what He's going to do for me. Sure. And a lot of them, we're the subject of the song. And I, again, I don't think they're bad. I just don't think it's worship necessarily. Yeah. So I, I like to really make sure the the vast majority of the songs are just about Him. Yeah. He doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't have to do anything for me. Just the majesty of God, that's a real important, uh, you know, I mean, d- distinction. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of places, another th- thing I've learned, uh, Logan, is that a lot of churches are only doing worship. But mm. I think we need praise and worship. Sure. I think we need, we need the shout, and we need the, we need the clap, and we need the... And that's very horizontal. That's, 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 that is encouraging. That's, man, look what God has done. And that's mm-hmm. where we can celebrate... But then worship turns to him. But I think we need both. It's the uh, the Bible says in Isaiah, it's, it's the is the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Yeah, not the garment of worship. Yeah, because worship's heavy itself mm-hmm. if you think about it. Mm-hmm. But praise is praise kind of lifts that heaviness off because we get to celebrate. I think I think we need to return to some more c- celebratory. Uh, clapping and singing and dancing moments in yeah. church, you know. So, yeah, we had uh, your pastor uh, share with us uh, last year during COVID um, for for twenty one days. He he spoke via Zoom uh, to to our all staff. I think he had COVID, so he couldn't fly in. No. <laughs> um, but he talked about he Pastor Larry Stockstill. He talked about like no, I dance before the Lord, and I you know he's like maybe you don't do it in public, but it, he's like you praise, you do it in private. And obviously, yeah. that's where you were at, you know, for many years. People when they Kind of draw your story. That's where it started. Was at Bethany. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and he's he's a uh, songwriter worshiper. When I first came on staff at Bethany, he led the worship, hmm. and I was on the bass. And yeah, and we we'd sing songs, but we always had that those first few songs that were just 
dancing, shouting, clapping, you know, celebratory, and very again, very horizontal in in the in the words. The words were actually to each other. Sure, we'd sing songs like "Look what the Lord has done." But mm. well, I'm not saying that to him. I'm saying that to you. Yeah, yeah. But then we turn to worship. And it's, Lord, you now, you, you, you. And I just like it for there to be both. And I like when we get to the worship part, we are putting our attention on God. C.S. Lewis said a great uh, quote about uh, worship service. He said, the perfect worship service is the one that we were unaware of Hmm. because our attention would have been on God. Yeah. And even with the kind of the eye candy and all the things that we've created down the stage, I, I like it, but I think it can get to a point where... It gets the attention and not Jesus, and I just think it's important to, to be almost unaware of it so much that you were able to put your all your attention on Jesus. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know a lot of times that's the way we want to preach as well. You know, right. preaching in a way that points people to that. When you think about Highlands, obviously the many years that you've led it in in the way that you're preaching, you, you've talked in conference after conference. You shared, "I'm not a preacher; I'm a teacher." How have you seen that play out in even some of the the roots of worship, but even in preaching and teaching and growing a church at the same time, but kind of becoming invisible to say pointing people to Jesus in the way that you preach? Yeah, and I think what I try to do is 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 ask myself. You know, what do I want them to know? What do I want them to do? And, the, and it's in the doing, in the preaching, that gets them moving toward their relationship with God, not the one toward me. In other words, I don't want them just to be impressed with, man, Chris really preached a good word today. Again, I don't have a problem with that, but I'd rather, man, I saw this in God's word today, and now I'm going to. Sure. And now they've, they've gotten closer to Jesus, and their their life is... Is, is changing and is better. I call it behavioral preaching. It moved me. Sure. It made me make take a step toward God to get closer to God. So that's my measuring stick for that. What What are some of the th- ways that you're seeing in the church? Obviously, you, you have the chance to not only lead a, a one of the strongest churches in our country, but you have the chance to be around a lot of strong pastors yeah. and people who are making impacts. You know, I've I've been at some some conferences and even even next generation events and things. You know cohorts and retreats and things where there seems to be this, I don't want to say shift because it's, I don't know that I can identify it because I don't know what, I guess what was different, but people that are, are pursuing a little bit more of, I want to learn more about scripture. And I think, I think what I see in that is we, we now have a full generation in America specifically, I'm speaking of, that didn't grow up with the gospel. Right. Like like even, you know, your guys' generation, it would be uncommon for people to not have a good understanding, but then now with millennials, like fully kind of graduating out in Generation Z, like right. their parents are the first generation that has now parented without an understanding of the gospel. Does that impact like the way you're teaching and oh, preaching? absolutely. In fact, a few Sundays ago, I had a, I had a girl that looked to be about 25 years old. I don't know how old she was. And she came up to me at the end of the service, and if you ever watch me teach, I have that mo- I have the monitor on stage so I can point to the scriptures, and so I have you know. And it does actually move. We did clarify when you touch it, it does actually. Oh yeah, move. I'm, I'm, you're I'm not a, cueing the production team. Oh no, no, no yeah, I'm yeah. advancing the screen. It's a touch yeah, yeah. screen, kind of like your iPad. If you're reading a Kindle book or something, when you touch the edge of the page, it flips the page. Yeah, it's fascinating. Same thing. Yeah, people wanted that so. <laughs> well, there you go. That, yeah. The mystery has been solved. Yeah. <laughs> and so a girl came up to me at the end of the service. She goes, I love, were you teaching the Bible up there? I said, yeah, that was the Bible. She goes, oh, this is in Alabama, not Connecticut. Or, you know, this is Alabama, yeah, yeah. okay? Yeah. And she goes, oh. And she goes, well, whose name was at the bottom? And what were the numbers all about? 
<laughs> she didn't know what the name. And she said, I said, well, God wrote the Bible, but man held the pen. And so the person who held the pen while God was writing the Bible, and they get their name attributed to it, like I was reading through the book of Matthew. So that was his name. She goes, well, okay, well, what are the numbers for? And I said, well, the text was all together. Nobody could find anything. So to help find scriptures, uh, they were put in chapters and in verses. So for the first number is a chapter, and then the dot, dot, and the verse. She goes, oh, she goes, that's bridge. She goes, did you come up with that? I said, I sure did. Uh, <laughs> There is a girl in our congregation in Alabama, yeah, practically the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, sure. who didn't know what the name and numbers were. So does it change? Of course it does. And I think we have to remind ourselves that while we have people there that, that can recite verses out of the book of Matthew, there's somebody who doesn't even know why his name's on the text. Sure. And I think one of the things we have to grapple with and make sure we include in our preaching is feeding both of those people that there are people that need to be fed that have heard a thousand sermons, and there's a girl there who doesn't even know what the numbers mean. Mm-hmm. And and I enjoy that. Yeah. I enjoy trying to do both at the same time. I mean, not everybody knows who Moses is. We would yeah. go by, oh, you know, well, no, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes we do need to slow down a little bit and explain this to those. It is a shame, though, that uh, there is a biblical illiteracy right now yeah. that we have to we have to. F- deal with, and I'm not even sure how it happens. Um, One of my suspicions, Logan, is that while I am totally in favor of digital, everything digital, that digital also removes the personal. I think everybody needs a printed Bible that they can flip pages, mark, you know, have as their own. Um, And and anyway, I'm I'm making a huge push to get people, young people especially, biblically literate again. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's something that's been seen, I would say, across generations, certainly, but it's it's more prevalent now than ever. And they had more access to it at the same time. Which is so odd. Right, so there's yeah. something there. They that had more need... access to sin in a lot of ways, too. Exactly, yeah. but I, I blame a lot of things on the phone, to be honest with you. I yeah. think um, it's been our friend and it's been our enemy at the same time, or, yeah. the, or, or all things digital, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so yeah. some of the listeners know I've, I deleted social media two years ago, so I've been off it for, for two years. You've and, got the joy, 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 yeah. joy down in your heart. Yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, one of the questions when you talk about like people who are, are not not up to speed, biblically literate, they don't maybe they don't know anything, they don't know what chapter and verse means, but then you obviously have this... Uh, mandate to be disciple makers and to be leaders within the church. You know, there's the these terms that that people have made up. You know, I don't know who these people are, but things like seeker sensitive or you know things like that. And there's people that are very lean heavily into that. There's people that are very critical of that. How have you, you know, as as being a large church that attracts people from all different walks of life, as somebody who holds the word of God to to be the truth and and to be the guide for us as we walk our Christian life, but also wanting to grow a church and to see people saved. It, it, it's a broad question, but but how have you wrestled with that yeah. as, a, as a leader? I don't think um, not giving them the full gospel, the full Christian experience is secret sensitive. Somehow, somehow we've gotten this notion that if I dumb it down or if I don't give you all the hard parts, just give you the fun, you know, the, the forgiveness parts and the grace parts. That the, It's not true. Every part of it brings light. The, you know, the, the whole Word of God is truth, and truth sets you free. Yeah. It's, I don't think when people see it, even if it confronts an area of their life, 
they're going, oh, well, then you were mean to me. No, I think they inherently want to be set free. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything the devil has to offer works. I think people... So I, I never think, when I tell you this and it confronts something, I don't think you're going to be sad. I think you're going to be glad. I'm, I'm giving you a prescription of hope and life and eternal life, and who wouldn't want that? Yeah. And so I don't, I don't see the Bible as confrontational. I don't think anybody who's doing anything that is opposed to the Bible is happy. Sure. So I, don't, so I, don't, I, don't, I, so I think it's okay to deliver it just as it is, and and give it to them as as good news. I think they I I go into it thinking they want it. Absolutely. My friend John Maxwell um, um, has this line he uses with people who say they they don't believe in God, so they're atheists. And he'll, and, and so he'll start sharing his faith, and they go, "Oh, I'm an atheist." He goes, oh, "I understand that. I said I know you're an atheist." He says, "But don't you miss him?" <laughs> and he has led more atheists wow. to Christ. By telling an atheist, oh, it's okay, I understand you're an atheist, but don't you miss him? Wow. Because cause we, cause the truth is, they were made in the image of God, too. They have a spirit man that is on this search for their maker. And so I think if we go into it with that understanding, um, we can really help some people. I think seek to be a seeker-friendly church is still important, but I don't think it's what some people think it is. I think it, I think it's not creating a church just for church people. Sure. Where now I'm, I, I, am, I am very interested. I, I want what you have. But, but there was a generation of churches where you weren't welcome there until you changed. Yeah. Well, which, what we believe is that you, got, you have to come to change to find it. You can't find it and change, you know. Yeah. You, you have to, they have to have it. You have to make room for the people who are still uh, on that search. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that I do embrace in, sure. in that movement. Yeah, and you think about the distractions that we talked about, whether it be through the phone or work or all these things. You know, in in our country, coming to church an hour and a half, you know, between between parking spot to parking takeoff, you know, on a week, and then the rest of their life. And you think about how long it takes somebody to change. We we, we have a phrase around here: one moment in the presence of God can change everything. Right. But in the same way, there's people who are pulled back and distracted by so many different things. Yeah, there's. I would say in the midst of there's the seek you know people that are seeking there's obviously people who are dis disciple making following Jesus there's there's been a, a new crowd I would say that has is growing and you know, there's a number of different words that that people talk about it and you know there's a bunch of rabbit holes we could go down but people who are deconstructing their faith or people who are you know stepping away from from the church, but stepping into Jesus or whatever phrasing they want to use. There's, there's a growing m movement of church hurt that I think use the mm -hmm. pains of pastors and people and are, are taking that as a, almost forming their own group, almost their own church, you know, about their pains that they've experienced in the church. And I know there's some real, real things there that need to be dealt with, but how, how would you respond in, in some of these situations? Maybe you've had people in your church or on your team that have brought up some of these questions as well that could help us in this situation. Anybody that ever brings something up like that, I think we have to discern whether their intentions are pure or not. Sure. I mean, do you really want to know? When you ask that question, do you really want to know or do you want to make a point? And I, I try right yeah. off the bat just to figure that out because if they're not really open to a conversation about that, uh, then then it just it gets ugly every time. And so at that point, I would just say, well, you know what? Go, go, go try what you think sure. and I'll leave the light on. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, and and I've been I've been in this long enough now that I've seen dozens of those cycle through the body of Christ in sure. in varying forms, different but, words. Yeah, it's the same old it's this it's the same old thing that the enemy tries to use to bring confusion and division. Uh, this good old gospel that's been going on for 2,000 years is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm-hmm. You're not going to change it. You're not going to do away with the church. It's not going to happen. And, and, and sometimes those things have to come through and cycle through. But I think we just stay steady. And I try to be polite and just say, well, if you want to talk about it genuinely, I'm happy to. But if you've already made up your mind, this is this is the trail you're going down, I'll leave the light on. Come back to me whenever it doesn't work out for you like you thought it would, because mm-hmm. it won't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard a pastor at a retreat I was at uh, a few months ago, and he said, some people just want an excuse to sin. Right. And other people are running from something. And there, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people do it. And it'll always get them in that pig pen in yeah. some form. Mm-hmm. Anytime you go your own way and not God's way, it always leads you to a desperate place. Mm-hmm. And that's a cycle that's happened in history itself. And so, and it, sometimes it takes pain to get your attention. And unfortunately, that's where they'll end up in some type of other type of pain that'll lead them right back to the truth of God's word. Yeah. You, you wrote a book recently called Out of the Cave. And um, you talk about getting out of the cave, but part of being in the cave is that you're confused or depressed or anxious to where you don't know the way out. And when when you look at people who are again, regardless of the words that they talk about, what are some of those things that you're seeing in people as to why maybe again maybe the recommendation would be read the book, um, but why they continue to get stuck in the same trap? Because I think what I see at times is people get out of the cave, but then they walk right back in. Yeah. What what, what are some you see in those people that can can change the habit or the trajectory? Yeah, almost eighty percent of all depression or 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 what they call psychosocial, they're they're behavioral in nature. So it could be your life in balance, your pace of life, your sedentary life, your indoor life. There's a direct correlation to depression on indoor versus outdoor. Hmm. I mean, um, there's a direct correlation. This is just secular research. There's a direct correlation of depression on whether you do something useful with your hands in your life and those who have no purpose in life. So a lot of these are, are... fixes, if you will, that that are behavioral in nature. Now, no doubt there are some genetic and biological causes of depression. I actually have an autistic son who needs medication mm-hmm. to, in his words, to put the wires together so he can feel and think right. So I'm not opposed to medical solutions. I'm just saying, uh, in the words of Johan Hari, who wrote the book Lost Connections, if we let the chemical imbalance conversation uh, lead the narrative We'll, we'll miss some of the real causes and solutions that are more lifestyle in nature. Sure. And so um, uh, things like loneliness, there's a direct correlation into the amount of, uh, of depression and anxiety you have to how relationally connected you are or you are not. And I'm not talking about on your phone or how many f- followers physically, you have. Yeah. yeah. No, physically connected, real meaningful relationships are powerful. So a lot of us are are getting in and out of that cave because we're not adjusting some of these things that need to happen. Um, you, one of the most powerful solutions for depression is having a, a clear, meaningful purpose in your life. And for a lot of us, it's not going to be in, our, in our, the occupation that pays us. 
So some of the happiest people I know volunteer at church on the weekends, or sure. they lead small groups, or they're involved in some kind of way with what they're doing is making the difference in another person's life. And there are so many people who simply don't choose to do that, and they find themselves uh, in that dark place. And so one of the greatest solutions we can give people is helping them to discover their purpose so they can go make a difference in this world. Yeah. Your church being you know so large on a weekend, um, I've, I've heard you talk about this before, but the importance of the small group aspect. Huge. I think there's a lot of churches that say, well, once I get big enough, then I'll do small groups. Can you talk a little bit about that impact that that's had on your church and why you are so focused on that? Well, everybody groups anyway. Sure. So the whole world is grouping. That's what gangs are. That's what we group. People group. And so they're finding some expression of that. I just in, invite pastors to, hey, let's 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 let us do this on on purpose. And so, because everybody needs to be connected in some kind of a way, and they are going to get connected in some kind of way anyway. Um, but what's interesting, Logan, is that. Um, People tend to think Christianity is just a relationship between them and God, but it's not. It's also a relationship between them and God's people. Mm -hmm. And two verses that I always quote is 1 John 1, 9 says, If you'll confess your sins to God, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. The way I say it is, if you confess your, your faults, your problems, your issues to God, He'll forgive what happened, but, he, but it doesn't ensure it won't happen again. Mm. James 5.16 says, if you'll confess your sins, your faults, your problems to people, to one to another, and pray for each other, you'll be healed. So the way I say it is you go to God for forgiveness, but you got to go to God's people for healing. God takes care of what you did. Going to God's people ensures that it may not happen again. And we, we find it in, in, in things like if you, have, you ever had a, uh, a workout regimen that actually worked, you probably did it with a workout partner. Yeah, you absolutely. probably had somebody that met you at the gym. You had somebody who held you accountable. We all know that. So we have to find that in the church as well so that we can have the safety, the growth, the protection um, that comes through meaningful Christian godly friends that we, we need so desperately. Yeah, at, at times you can be an operational, strategic, analytical guy. Is there a number that you you put kind of on your recommendation for a small group size? For the size? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you just look at sociologists, um, they, they would say it needs to be somewhere between 7 and about 16. It gets to a certain size, and we don't regulate them. I'm yeah, just, sure. I'm just answering your question. But it gets to a certain size that a person could come and not have any interaction with the people. They mm -hmm. can feel safe because the size got so big. A lot of people's Sunday service. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly right. And then it can be too small where it gets a little awkward. So you just got to find that. <laughs> it's just a date with you and another person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that can be dangerous in itself. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, but what, you, what you want in it, if you understand what you really want in it, and what I think we really want in it is somebody who really knows me. That's it. Mm. I want to be in an environment where I feel safe enough to take off the mask that I'm wearing and saying, I know I'm smiling, but I'm not really okay. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sharing that with you. When I have, when you get there, C.S. Lewis said, friendship is born at the moment when one person shares that with another and the other says, what, you too? Yeah. I thought I was the only one. Mm -hmm. And now you have that safe place where 
you can pray with one another, hold each other accountable, grow together, point out the, the qualities in each other. And, and I, again, I would submit the world does it anyway, so we, mm-hmm. we might as well go ahead and get involved. So it has nothing to do with the size of the church. Yeah. In fact, it's probably easier the smaller the church is to get it going. When we were first started, we were only about 100 people, and I started 19 small groups, very first small group semester at Church of the Highlands. We had 19 mm-hmm. groups, and I, I raised them, each one of them up one at a time. And, you know, and today we have thousands of groups. That's so. awesome. How important is that for pastors as well? I mean, you think about small groups, you're like, I could, I, I could be in it with people in the church, but how have you maintained that health as a pastor? You know, maybe, maybe it's across state lines with other pastors, but can you talk about the relationships yeah. that you've formed through the years? Let me give you a barrier to groups, uh, to, to the whole small group yeah. mindset. You ready for it? Yeah. People think it's a meeting. Hmm. And, and, a, and a small group isn't a meeting. A small group has a meeting. Sure. A small group is a set of relationships. So I'm, I'm not in my small group meeting right now, but I still have a small group. And if I had something I was worried about, I could call them right now. Or So it's a set of relationships. I say that because a lot of pastors say, oh, I, don't, I, can't go to, I can't add anything else to my schedule. Well, then don't. You still need a small group of relationships. You see what I'm saying? Mm, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So when you remove the barrier of, oh, you're, you're just going to add another meeting, because we all came out of more of a Sunday school mentality of it's a weekly, and it is, but it's not. Sure. Um, the way I like to say this, I have a family, and we, ha- we eat dinner from time to time. We have a meeting called the dinner table. But my family isn't a dinner. My family has dinner. Mm. But I'm a dad, even though I'm here in Minnesota with you right now, and that doesn't make me any less of a dad. I still have that set of relationships. The more we define who those relationships are, and I would say to pastors that are listening, you need at least three people who know the real you. Everything. Everything. Not everybody, but somebody. Sure. And I think three safe uh, that they know that your secrets, and, and, and I always say you're, you'll always stay as sick as your secrets. Hmm. But the moment you can say, bro, nobody knows this, but I'm really struggling here. I've, I battle in my mind on Sunday nights. When Sunday's over, I get so depressed. I, I wish I would have said this, and I didn't. I wish more people would have come, and they didn't. And I'm not in a good place on Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm, I'm telling you mine right now. Mm-hmm. The devil attacks me on Sunday nights. Almost every Sunday night, I have some regrets, something I wish, something that was below my expectations of what I thought the weekend was going to be like, and I have three people who know it, and I have three phone calls every Sunday night. Mm-hmm. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing. I'm doing good. Thanks for checking. You see, and I think we all need that. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. You know, getting into what I I heard you talk about this at our conference, but you talked about your or aptitude and maybe your initial response for grace in situations. Obviously, there's there's you know examples that people bring up about uh, whether it be a leader in ministry or just a Christian person that maybe falls short of what our expectation is of yeah. them. Um, can you talk a little bit about the way you've led in those situations? Because you know a lot of us, I'd say it's easy it's easy to throw stones. Um, from afar, it, my, my brother-in-law was quotes uh, the Babe Ruth quote that says, "The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats." Yep. And uh, can you talk a little bit about us as we wrap up about what h- how you've managed that? And these are these are friends; these are people that you know. In some situations, and others, it's not. And maybe they just say, "Hey, PC, can you help? Can you give us some advice?" Uh, but as someone who's seen seen some of that up close, what advice would you give us who maybe are 
are quick to be be frustrated, devastated, critical, angry. Yeah, I heard this quote once that we're we're great judges of other people's sins, but great lawyers of our own. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to become great lawyers of other people's sins. You know, I don't I know this for a fact that when you read a story about someone, you don't know the whole story. You don't. And you know it to be true because if you've ever had been lied about, yeah. you know that they weren't telling the whole truth. And so I think it's just I think it's gracious and godly to go into it saying, I don't know everything, so I'm going to reserve my judgment on this person's story that came out because I don't know everything. And, and a lot of times things can't be told because there are children involved and there are spouses involved. And go figure, we're trying to actually save a marriage here. So it wouldn't be, at, it would be in the interest, it would be in your interest to know everything because you have this desire to know. <laughs> but it would be better for this couple's sake for them to have some, some level of privacy and let the people who need to know, like the elders, let that be enough. And I think, I think there's this appetite to know yeah. that I, I, would, I would encourage people just to, just to don't have to, you don't have to know everything. And then just assume that you don't have the whole story. And if you had the whole story, you'd probably think differently about it. Mm-hmm. And then I think, honestly, I've just chosen that I'm going to give everybody a second chance if they have a, if they have a humble and contrite heart. Because that's what Jesus did for me. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't repent and never sin again. I've, I've sinned over and over, and every time I ask forgiveness, guess what He does? <laughs> he forgives me again, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm just gonna show that. Now, if they don't have the right attitude, and then I think that's it's a different response. I'm not, and I'm not saying sweep it all on the floor and hide it from everyone. I think the people who are in authority need to know, and it needs to be dealt with appropriately. And but I think in healthy restoration, I think. I, th- I think I believe that in most cases people should be given a second chance, and and I'm just, you know, if I'm gonna stand before God one day, Logan, and I'm either gonna have forgiven too much or judged too strictly, and I'd rather err if I miss it. <laughs> I can handle standing before God, Him going, you know what, Chris, you just were too, you're just way too. I'm I'm just not, I'm so displeased because you were just so gracious over the. I can live with that mm-hmm. versus, bro, you are so mean to people. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's not how it's going to play out in heaven. Yeah. But I just would rather stand before the Lord having forgiven too much than having judged too strictly. Yeah, 70 times 7. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about a lot today. Um, what, what would be your final thought or encouragement to maybe you know those pastors, leaders, uh, church members that just love what God's doing in their church and they want to see you know their churches grow. They want to see healthy churches. They want to see their neighbors come to find faith in Jesus. Uh, again, as a, as, a, as a leader in the church, what, what would be maybe your last message to them? Obviously, there's so yeah. many things you could say. But. You know, you know, there's just been a, it's been a hard couple years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Jesus addressed this when he was talking about the end times, and he paints this picture of just horrific everything, earthquakes, famine, pestilence, you know. And he makes this statement. He says, when you see these things, lift up your head. Your redemption draws near. And I would want to tell people, I know it sounds bad, and it looks bad, and you think, it's not, though. The church is resilient. Jesus is on the throne. He's not nervous, so why should we be? And I would want to encourage their faith and say, hey, I know you see these things, but we need to... If you've ever flown in an airplane on a rainy day, it's horrible. You see your bags getting wet. 
but then you take off. And there's this moment where you bust through the clouds, and at the same place it was raining, raining is now sunshining because you're above the clouds and not below them. And I would encourage people to live above the clouds, not in them. Yeah. To, to, to stir your faith and just trust God, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's a great way to end. And Pastor Chris, it's, it's a joy to have you here. It's a joy to be your friend you. and uh, be a family friend. Uh, you're, you're a gift to us, you're a gift to the body of Christ. And thank you for serving. And congrats on 40 years of ministry this year. Yeah, thank it's you. A, it's a gift to us. And so thank you again. Thank you.